Welcome everybody to a, a fun interview all about blockchain because I have some burning questions. So we have today somewhat of an expert. He may disagree with me calling him an expert, but look, Sam Russell is my guest today. He is the founder of Clef, which is uh, bringing a whole new way to think about uh, how the way musicians get paid. And he's been working in the blockchain space for a number of years. And so today he's here to answer all the questions and put the internet at ease. How's that for an introduction, Sam? How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks, thanks, Matt, for, for having us. And excited to give my perspective, I think, of, of blockchain and share some experiences which may help, you know, round off people's thinking about what this place is, or maybe give them a completely new perspective on on what's going on. Okay, Sam, uh, I, I'm so fascinated about this. I've been listening to um, uh, a podcast by people like uh, uh, Amos Seifdeen, these the sort of people explaining the history of money. Uh, I think I came across you because on LinkedIn, I saw you talking about NFTs, okay? And we'll talk about what non-fungible tokens are in a moment, but this perception that I have as well, that NFTs are just glorified JPEGs, they're pretty much a scam. Uh, that's how I found you. And so today I'm hoping that we can get to the bottom of things like Bitcoin, yeah. uh, the craziness that we see all around us, you know, the big crashes recently, NFTs, Ethereum, and maybe we should start broad. How's that? Maybe we should start really broad with uh, blockchain, which is the underlying technology. Maybe you can um, tell us what it is in a simple way and why we should care about well, What is blockchain in a simple way? A smart database and why we should care about it because most databases are you know, linear, quite one-dimensional, um, whereas blockchain with a smart database, it can enable you know, some really cool things to happen. You know, there's, there's a lot of utopian philosoph philosophical benefits to, to the tech, but there's also some really simple applications to make blockchain well used widely globally um which then like you mentioned earlier is you know gives benefit to the crypto tokens um nfts and so many other you know features and benefits but maybe just give some perspective and context i got into um bitcoin well bitcoin blockchain in 2017, that's when I revisited the space. I, I first learned about it all in 2013. And mm -hmm. it's the, the story about a bloke in Wales who chucked his computer away with 7,500 oh, yeah. Bitcoin. And he, he tried to buy, I think he was trying to buy the, uh, the tip at the time <laughs> to recover his computer. And I was like, this is mind blowing. This bloke's got yeah. all this money on a computer. How could he be so stupid chucking, chucking it away? Mm. Um, and that's that's also why I didn't buy back in 2013 because it was too bloody hard, um, and I wasn't um, I wasn't really that tech savvy. Um, really, just had probably Windows XP at the time, an old version. Um, wait, wait! But, before you uh, move on, can you can you explain that guy who threw course. away the tip? How many coins did he throw away, and what do you reckon they're worth at the time, and what are they worth today? So seven and a half thousand Bitcoin, based on today's value of what twenty thousand US. Um, what's that? 14.5 million? What's your calculator saying? Oh, oh, oh I'm um, a, I studied law, not but, maths. I'll do but, that. So 7,000 well, Bitcoin, did you say? 7,500 Bitcoin at 20,000 US today. Is it go so it's gone down. It was up. It had highs of like 50,000, didn't it? I think it touched um, over, over 60. 
Um, okay. And I can't remember, can't remember when, because it's all a mesh. But in the last twelve months, it's had you know highs of sixty, highs of fifty. Okay. Then today's you know, price. Today's price at twenty is one hundred and fifty million dollars. So at its peak, it was. $450 million. Of course, he's down the tip every day trying to find his lost yeah. hard drive. And I think he even went down the private equity routes um, and, and even Newport City Council in Wales saying, Christ, like, could, if we find it, if we find the computer, I'll share it with everybody because mm-hmm. I think it's just that pain of knowledge of chucking something so valuable away. Um, but, hey, this is that's one of the first stories I ever heard about, you know, crypto crypto and blockchain and bitcoin but it's also pretty cool because i knew as soon as you kind of step in foot in in the industry you had to be um safe secure and and have processes um with with it and not chucking away a hard drive with you know your private keys on but that's in in kind of 2017 when i revisited the space i learned i learned from it through through a few friends who were explaining you know the examples applications use cases and you know most likely incredibly utopian with with their thought around banking the unbanked and and what have you but i think that inspired me to to jump in the deep end and i brought my partner along with me and you know some other some other friends you know all around the world along the way i suppose to learn um and to be someone to people you know someone people to bounce ideas off and you know and i keep i, I say context and perspective a lot is because Blockchain is is a highly technical world, and I'm not naturally a technical person, so I need to understand. Okay, this cool technology. What are the outputs? Why is it beneficial? Why does it actually matter? Um, tokens and you know token supply to you know block times and block sizes and all of this. I understood, I suppose, the features and benefits of it. But I kind of didn't really care about the technical components because I knew there was always someone ten to hundred times smarter who's written the thousand times smarter who's written the code that you know can can articulate it in a way that matters to them that I could understand. But um, really, I just recognised instantly the blockchain as a, as a whole. It represented like symbiotic incentive models. It could produce benefits for all industries because of fair secure and transparent value exchange enabling you and i to to transact in a fair environment you know mutable environments um but also that transaction be uh transparent so not completely private and nefarious like you know bitcoin bitcoin is known and this is one of the things is whilst a lot of people say bitcoin is is anonymous it is anonymous for some of the smartest people in the world who have taken you know, taking their procedures and measure their tracks, VPNs, whatever it may be. Um, but, you know, having seen some of these searching, you know, uh, tracking um, security type of technologies, then, you know, people think they cover their tracks, but one IP address, um, or one time you don't connect to a VPN could really, you know, reveal a location, whether it's on a trading account, on a, on a wallet or, or something else. So this is um, one of the things about blockchain um, currencies. The, the governments around the world, this is why I think that they're all just trying to stop us from using them. They've been trying to push an, a story of they're uh, used for the dark web. It's all about child prostitution and drugs. So if you're into Bitcoin, you're evil. That's been the message. It's about hiding in anonymity. But as we know, the whole principle of blockchain is a distributed ledger where everyone can see everything and verify yeah. everything, basically. So really, I think 
Am I I correct in thinking of blockchain more as a decentralization? It's not about anonymity so much as it's about distributing power broadly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the blockchain distributed ledger, um, decentralized um, businesses and organizations having a structure and having, you know, you know, blockchain provides them, you know, tools of governance. Um, and this is where Bitcoin, you know, was the first cryptocurrency and um, blockchain, which has got some, you know, very specific use cases based on the Satoshi white paper. But if we look at all of the other, you know, cryptocurrencies that, that have evolved and all of these new types of block- blockchains that have evolved, kind of the, honestly, the features and benefits are so few and like they're, they're so broad, but they're also so deep. Um, and there are anonymous privacy coins out there. It's not my forte, not my expertise. I don't need it. I wasn't on the dark web. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, this is going back to your points around how Bitcoin is used for nefarious activities. So is cash, and, and on what and on what and on what scale? Um, mm. Cash is you know why have governments around the world banned you purchasing a car for cash? You can only well. This, this is the thing. I think you can only spend up to it's the, the travel rule, ten thousand um, dollars, and this is where you, you see people, you know, transferring nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine point nine nine dollars to try and stay off the radar. But I'm sure that that's alerting an amber flag somewhere. <laughs> um, so there's there are a lot of these misconceptions, but at the same time, it's um, kind of based on utopian ideals, which for me is like okay, Bitcoin is brilliant but there are applications that can help the masses not so much the as you mentioned dark web and this is where i think there has been a shift certainly over over the last five six years i've been in the industry um but there's also been a consistent critical uh contingent out there that you know bitcoin is dead bitcoin is a scam bitcoin is you know nefarious at the end of the day bitcoin is based on community and, and the power of the community. Um, and yes, you've got bad actors, but you also have many, many good actors using you know, this tech for good things. Unfortunately, that's, that's how I learned about you know, the technology is, is for all of the good things um, that the blockchain can enable. I find it incredible that if you were, people who say blockchain, uh, blockchain and Bitcoin are bad because bad people use it, like cash, man. Like cat, if you would have the most dodgy stuff in this world is, is run on cash. That's a terrible argument. So should should people who are normal, who are normal, should the average person on the street who doesn't know much about blockchain, should they care about this technology? Or is it like you say, it can do really cool things, but is that you know, there's so many cool new tech things coming out at CES yeah. or whatever, and then just blows by. It doesn't affect our lives, it doesn't stick. Where does blockchain fit in? Because we've just seen a massive crash across the blockchain mm-hmm. coins. Uh, is it a fad that's dying or where do you see this? So where does blockchain fit in? Um, when do you walk into a bank, a traditional bank, and deposit $100 or pounds into, into your account? Do you ask the bank what database they use? No. No, you just give them the money, they give you a receipt, and you walk out trusting that they have deposited your money into your correct bank account. Um, and this is this is something that I, I say to so many people who I meet and talk about blockchain is you would not ask the bank what database they use. Therefore, why should you know you ask the application 
or technology you're using on on your device, you know what they're using. You don't go to a, an e-commerce store and ask them, "Are you using a Shopify? Are you using Wix? Are you using mm. you know WooCommerce?" You just trust that the user experience and you know is is brilliant and the customer experience is brilliant and your money doesn't get lost. So this is where I don't think people should care whether a business is based on blockchain or not. The business should be able to select the kind of technologies they use based on the uh, the features and benefits they want their their customers to receive. And something something I learned maybe ten years ago was you could never have all three of good, fast, and cheap. You know, it would always be good and fast and not cheap. It would always be good, fast, or so good and cheap, but not fast. And then, you know, if it's cheap and fast, it ain't good. Yeah. Block- blockchain has the power to provide all three, right. um, almost by eradicating middlemen, you know, from agreements, lawyers, accountants, and yeah. uh, God knows whatever, whatever other middle people get involved in deals and transactions that just don't need to be there. Um, so, you know, my, my perspective on things is blockchain should be um, used, it shouldn't be seen, really shouldn't be heard, um, and it should provide, you know, enormous value to the end users. And, and this is where, I, you know, if we look today and 2022, the businesses that really come out in the next, you know, cycle and next evolution of, of this technology and industry, they'll be the ones who have focused on building solid business models integrating the technology where it needs to be for the right reason. Um, you know, not building, you know, decentralized finance products, providing 1 million percent API, APY or APR, whatever the, the specific is. And that's, that's the kind of unfortunate, unfortunate, you know, battle that people like myself and colleagues in the industry have to deal with is we're building legitimate, you know, technologies and building legitimate infrastructures. But the mainstream news has said it's died about 2,900 times um, since the beginning. Yeah, you know, you just need to look at the, the you know, the market cap evolving, you know, and, and all of these pretty amazing technologies, you know, coming to fruition. So you think blockchain, well, block, specifically blockchain, currencies built on the blockchain, do you think they are here to stay despite all the crashes we've had recently? Yeah, some are. Some are. Let's, I, I think the... You know, if we were to look at the amount of cryptocurrencies um, built on blockchain, there would be thousands. You know, maybe in the future, 50 will be, you know, significant and push through. But they definitely could, there could be so many hundreds of businesses, you know, you know, working their way to the top. But at the same time, we may never, ever hear of any successful businesses because and, and other platforms in blockchain because of the communities they serve. Um, and this is what's quite exciting is these technologies do serve, you know, very niche communities globally. Um, but I would say we, we are looking at a, a small amount of brilliant technologies will succeed in the long run. And it will come back to their economic models, their, the resource models and the cost of the blockchain. You know, this is where block sizes, the amount of data it can process, how quick it can process them, can it handle scale? Um, that's what's going to define success, but for me in the long run. Um, unfortunately, I'm in, informed by a lot of really smart people around the, the, the kind of economics and um, token economics side of the business, which gives me a lot of clarity around what will succeed in the short, mid, long term. But what looks like it will succeed in the short term has the ability to fall off a cliff, of which we've seen a few projects um, display 
you know, unfortunately, that that sort of uh, negative success in the last few weeks, you know, going from billions in market cap to, to almost hundreds of dollars, uh, which is which is dreadful. But the contingent in the industry have been saying that this is high high risk. That's going to going to go off on some expletives there, but incredibly high risk with broken economic models, and it's a death spiral waiting to happen. But unfortunately, it's uh, you know greed sometimes take up, takes over, and these locking mechanisms to secure people's value, um, yeah, leaves people a little bit shortchanged. Um, fortunately, I've not been affected personally, but know many people who have been affected deeply by some of these uh, these dumps. Let's say dumps. Yes, I know. I know people have been wiped out uh, because of Luna. Commiserations to all the Luna holders. Hey. Blockchain is is uh, more real and normal than people realize. If you watch discernible interviews on our website, they're hosted increasingly by Odyssey, which is uh, based on the library network, blockchain network. It's, it's the, yep. our videos are distributed across blockchains. So anyway, hey, uh, when we talk about um, the beginning of currencies like we're seeing now, you're saying it's a little bit of the wild west, and then the, the market will naturally some will fall away and maybe 50 will survive or whatever, and, and then we'll have something mature. That that um, obviously has happened throughout time. Ideas need to be tested and refined, and then whatever is the best tends to survive, we hope, uh, and that's when we get stability. But so at the moment, I feel like blockchain currencies are, and, and this will lead us into other blockchain-based things like NFTs, but blockchain currencies, there's a speculative, speculative uh, part to it. People on the street, hey, what do you think of Bitcoin? They'll tell you a story how their neighbor down the road has now got a mansion over in the Northeast of New South Wales because they got rich on blockchain. And they just think blockchain's like tulip, tulip you know, the tulip mania back yeah. in, was that Denmark? I think. Amsterdam. Amsterdam had the Denmark, had the tulip things, right? I think I think it was Amsterdam. Okay. Maybe the users so, can, uh, you, you can, uh, can correct us if we're wrong. Yeah, so the Ponzi scheme of tulips and everyone's just buying tulips because tulips cost mm. more and it's just good. So blockchain, uh, uh, Bitcoin, similar thing. Do you think there will be an end to the speculation side of Bitcoin? And is that necessary for it to mature into those like 50 coins you talked about? Well, there's, there's Bitcoin is, is one, one cryptocurrency, which is the, the OG and the longest running. But then there's, you know, we've got, Florin coin, which I started my career with in, in, in crypto, and that was launched 2013. You've got Ethereum, you've got Cardano, you've got EOSIO, you've got so many other of these cryptocurrencies. You've got Solana, which is a major cryptocurrency, which has apparently had uh, some, some very challenging issues of late. Um, all of these different cryptocurrencies, they don't all live on the same blockchain. They have their own different blockchains and, and infrastructures, and they all have different features and benefits. Um, Bitcoin will, you know, survive uh, the longest. In in my opinion, it won't not survive because of the community backing and belief in its technology, in providing secure, you know, uh, fast and immutable payments and, and value transfers. Mm. Um, but if we were to look, you know, look at in the future, fifty coins, why is it they succeed? Is because they've they've nailed their their business model and they've nailed their scaling ability. Um, because at the moment, if there's a hundred people using your technology, it's cheap. You know, once that you know grows to a hundred thousand, 
think of it as the roads getting so overly congested that it's basically whoever pays the most gets to, you know, whoever pays the most in a continuous auction gets to the front of the queue to leave. Um, and that isn't scalable because it's dreadful user experience. It's not fixed pricing and, and standard pricing. So you're not managing people's expectations. Um, so really, it's, it's a tough one. There's a lot, lot smarter people out there that could go into the, you know, the nuances between the technologies. But um, there's an ecosystem that can you know, enable thousands of coins to survive. They just these these coins and these because a coin represents often a business utility, and and these business utilities are you know interoperable, you know between businesses and between industries and even between blockchains. So it's kind of an amazing ecosystem has been built over the last you know dozen years, and moving forward that ecosystem is just going to those dots are going to connect with the the writer dots over time. Because right, lots right of dots dot. have been connected in the right, the better dots, the, the oh, more correct dots. Because you know, there's it's this you know continuous improvement, you know, hacking mindset in this industry. Um, you know, and Luna was a trial. You know, you could say it was a massive experiment, and there will be other Lunas that come up in the future that are solving a problem that then make it 100% fail-proof. But you know. Can assure you that that probably won't be the case and that there's more marketing than um, technical capability involved in, in those projects. Um, okay, so everyone yeah. at the moment uh, in, the, in, the, in the legacy media, you know, the established figures, they're all saying this phrase, I told you so, Bitcoin and crypto is a scam. So you, you, I assume you would disagree with that blanket statement. It's not at all a scam. Yes, it's not not at all a scam. They're uneducated imbeciles, um, quite frankly, and they haven't spent the time to understand its, you know, Bitcoin's use case, but blockchain is a is an underlying technology. Its use case. What they do have merit for is they, you know, they can critique the industry because the application of the technology has been used sometimes in the wrong way, and it's been overemphasized to, you know, Doge. If you just look at Dogecoin. <laughs> what value does it actually have? But the reason why it's you know gone so high is because of community and because yeah. of some you know tulips, large tulips. Thought, thought, but also large thought leaders in the space, you know, getting behind mm -hmm. it. And yeah, yeah it's funny. I've never touched Dogecoin, you know. I've but just because I I prefer to put my time and energy into value, which in this world is an investment into that ecosystem by which you you know you receive. Uh, a small stake in it represented by the tokens but you know the naysayers it's, it's spend some time to learn about it with someone pragmatic who isn't just selling you you know the utopian vision of banking the unbanked because that you know we're very well much past that um but i, I do the, the media they just need to also understand some of these examples in context of how it actually works you know versus old databases versus new and you know the introduction of smart contracts and different different types of smart contracts because um yeah you this five or six years of my life going down the rabbit hole almost every day adding different bits of information um you know into the net to try and understand real world applications um and i've used that as well to you know to folks in the industry with with the treasury you know with working groups to to try and educate and to try and you know mature certain opinions of the blockchain and 
in in Australia, the uh, blockchain Australia, the the industry's leading association, been absolutely fantastic engaging with governments and regulators to help them understand the technology so they don't over enforce and wrongly enforce. And and if they do that, they then stifle innovation. Which they're planning to do, my friend, so they can bring up their own Bitcoin, <laughs> government coin. Now, anyway, hey, you just mentioned smart contracts. Uh, can you yes. explain to us what are smart contracts? So a smart contract is a, just think of a contract between you and I that gets executed automatically. It doesn't need my approval or your approval. Um, you know, we shake hands. Let's just say we shake hands and say for every minute that um, one of us is late to, to dinner, for every minute, $10 automatically goes into a, you know, a, a drinking fund for us. Kind of, kind of those who played in sports teams, it's, you know, fines. Imagine fines could be automated mm. rather than, guys, I've, I haven't got the fiver, I'll pay you next week. I'll pay you the week after because, you know, that person never, ever pays. So a smart contract can automate that agreement between um, two individuals or two parties or multiple parties, basically eliminates each party from reneging on a deal retrospectively. Um, that's, that's how I understand smart contracts. How I learned about smart contracts, the first example I ever learned about smart contracts was um, there's kind of two things. Smart contracts need oracles to provide them with data in order for them to execute. Right. First example I learned was you've got a fisherman. Um, he's gone out and caught 100 kilos of fish. He gets yeah. back to shore um, and weighs the fish and sells the fish to someone four hours away. Let's just say he sold the 100 kilos of fish. The terms are for the fisherman to get grams, they must deliver the fish to the buyer in four hours. For every minute they're late, $1 gets deducted. Um, the fish also must be transported at minus five degrees, you know, to keep them frozen, keep the, the quality and integrity intact. Yeah. How, how, you know, in this scenario, how would we know, um, you know, how would we be able to execute that smart contract, you know, that we put together? This is where Internet of Things, you know, comes into place. Because I years ago when I heard about Internet of Things, I said, why the fuck do I need my fridge connected to the internet? Why yeah. do I need, you know, I just, just need my phone and that, that measures and records way too much. Um, why do I need other things? But this is where it really contextualizes the data items can collect. And that is um, the temperature of the fridge, you know, could get reported every second to a database, an immutable mm -hmm. database, a smart database. Um, and for every time it drops under, you know, minus six degrees or drops or increases to minus five or minus four, again, a fine is in place to penalize um, the, the seller by providing, you know, terrible cold delivery services. So mm -hmm. what, what it does is basically I buy the fish for a thousand. If it's 10 minutes late and it came, you know, warm, basically I'm going to get it for free or a mm -hmm. severely reduced amount, which we have predetermined. And I think, an example when you move out of to contextualize that is when you move out of a, an rented apartment and you don't get whole all of your bonds back you then have to make the application to you know to challenge the landlord challenge the real estate agent it's laborious it's it's slow and generally people are involved that don't need to be whereas it could have been sorted by um you know a smart contract which is um 
eliminating this the squabbling. That's mm. that's how I see smart contracts, which is exciting for eliminating lawyers and the amount of time that they waste in drafting these sorts of things and then executing them, family wills and, and what have you, and inheritances. But the, some of the lawyers that do get it, you know, see this as an innovation because it can make deals fairer and exchanges fairer. See, this kind of a technical knowledge, a lot of people uh, like myself are interested in it and we want to absorb it and grow and learn, I guess, because I'm young. But a lot of other people, actually, it's not age related. Uh, a lot of other people of all age groups just go, you know what? That's all too complex. Just leave me alone. And they tend to open, be open to the narrative of it's all a scam. So when I hear mainstream people saying, mainstream media, legacy media saying it's all a scam, I I think that they're really referring to either the, the technical the technicality of it, it's just too hard for them to think about, or they're referring to the speculative nature of it. And and I understand, yeah. I sympathize with them saying it's a scam in some ways. But here's where I agree with them. I think NFTs are a scam. I think NFTs Bye. are complete a complete scam because all right, non-fungible tokens. So let's say you make you take a photo of someone famous. So there's a photo of of you. You're famous. You're Justin Bieber. Now that and the the concept of an NFT, right? If you mint an NFT with that photo, that data is now created into the only JPEG that ever existed. Is this NFT? It, there's only one of it. It's creating artificial scarcity. But the argument against NFTs, of course, from people like me, is I have the same JPEG of you, Justin Bieber. Uh, and I have the same data in the sense that it's not verified to be your original JPEG, but I can see the same pixels as I can see in your pixel, in your JPEG has the same pixels. So the yep. value inherent there is the same. I'm getting the same value out, except f- for the uh, exclusivity of the baseball card phenomenon. I don't have the original, but I have the same data there, the, the same pixels. It's kind of, and this is, is it's a really good point. And for me, it's a, uh, never-ending evolution of the kind of explanation and empathizing with 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 your perspective really to then help you understand why it's not uh, a scam and why it's not totally speculative but what you've described it is just a, a jpeg it has zero utility besides looking at it and maybe evoking a reaction um maybe that reaction you know you could use that jpeg to evoke a reaction of your friends that's what, honestly the 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 utility of what you've described um but when there is you know maybe some significance around that photo whether it was it was a one-off it's kind of like a meme you know the early memes um that went viral in the early days do you know the creator of that meme no do you know that like do do you like some of the best memes in the world i genuinely want to meet those people and quite frankly Mm -hmm. hire them because a chief meme officer is is, i think the future Mm -hmm. of uh, corporate employment, yeah. um, but this this is where JPEGs um, as as NFTs they don't hold much value. This is where NFTs have to have utility, and utility is about providing value um, in the short term, mid term, and long term. You know, is that value for getting access? Will that will holding the original JPEG of Justin Bieber get you front row access for life for free to all of his tours? That's now that's, that's where holding that, the original yeah. that's where holding the original has some has some weight. It's like holding a Charizard card. You know, if you hold a fake, 
You know, if you go up to a, a Pokemon event, if, you, if you've got a fake, they're going to laugh at you and tell you to, to bugger off and you're going to be embarrassed, you know, in real world scenario. In the internet, you know, with your friends, you can pretend it's real. Yeah. But when it comes to mattering, you know, you've got, got egg on your face. Yeah. And this is, this is where that utilization of the NFT becomes important because what an NFT is, is, you know, you can uh, contextualize it as, as an image, an image with lots of code. The more code and the more utility, the more valuable it can be in the short term and potentially in the long term because of the scarcity. Right. Um, but I, I see, I see, you know, on your point around JPEGs, there's there's so many of them, but NFTs have application for basically every single industry. Because my interpretation of what an NFT is is a receipt. Yes. It's a digital replenishable um, interactive receipt. It's just uh, not a piece of paper that loses its uh, black and white ink after a few weeks. Um, and who values the receipt in this day and age unless it's got, you know, buy one, get one free dominoes on the back? So, so really to, come to that it, application. It's the same as having a gold coin or, or the golden ticket in the Willy, the Wonka, Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. It's just a scarce, valuable receipt. That, that gives yep. you special access or special value of some kind. But it's just different because this is not forgeable. It's just completely unforgeable because it's in the blockchain. Yeah. That's all. Because, it's in, because it's in the blockchain and um, a non-fungible token, if we look at what fungible means, it's fungibles are I, fungibles, fungible things are items that can be easily replaced with another item that's practically the same. So a pen, a piece of word, piece of paper, a piece of cash, you know, a paper, $10, $10, $20 note. Um, you know, whether or not an item's fungible um, impacts how I think damages are calculated for breaches on contracts and destructions of them. But when we look at non-fungible tokens, they are um, unique digital identifiers, code, you know, code with a hyperlink to an image, you know, that, that pulls it back. But that code it can't be copied, can't be substituted or subdivided if it's if it's created, you know, in the right way. Mm. Um, and all of this is recording on a blockchain, and and all of this is used to kind of verify the authentic and certify, verify the authenticity of ownership of these uh, digital items. But this is where you know it's bloody complicated. I'm not going to lie; it is a very very complicated industry, and that's also why it's known as speculative because no one really understands what's going on besides a small amount of people that will take advantage of people's lack of knowledge, people's lack of understanding of, you know, security. And basically there, there's a lot of gullible people out there who are looking for get rich quick schemes and which I might've seen, was it the, there was another ATO scam or something recently, maybe, you know, hitting over a billion dollars um, that's, that's wow. taken people's money. So nefarious scams and these speculative, opportunities they happen everywhere it's just nfts and the blockchain industry has been front and center sadly um of course so we can think of nfts as just an unreproducible uh token gold coin at the technology that's what the technology is and then the value comes from inserting benefits or attaching benefits to having the only coin whatever that, that token is. So this is yeah. Gary V, right? This is Gary Vaynerchuk. So yeah. when you when you buy his his minted NFTs of his drawings of an octopus or whatever, 
uh, you get tickets to to VCon or or you get to have lunch with Gary or whatever it is. So then my question yeah. is, is there any value in a normal person minting an NFT? If I take a picture right now and I, of my phone and then I mint it into an NFT and then I try and sell it for $500, nobody's going to care, right? Well, um, yes, you're correct. However, do you have, let's say, a fan, an admirer, someone who respects you and your work and your art? Because let's face it, anyone can be an artist these days, old, uh, old hunter. Um, and, and this is where, for, for, for you, someone may purchase that NFT for $500. I've got no idea why they would, but this is kind of, this is why it's super personal to them. They might value that um, and value, value you. Um, but this is, this is where anyone can print an NFT. Anyone can, can turn it into something really that it's not then coming back to utility. Uh, if you were to say that buying that NFT enables someone to join you on a panel discussion, then it immediately has value immediately has utility and that nft can also get shared with someone who's never heard of you before that sees value in purchasing it because of what it gives them access to so again you know we talk about the receipts and what nfts are mm -hmm. uh, an nft is a receipt a receipt also acts for proof of purchase mm -hmm. for a membership card a ticket um maybe maybe not purchase a frequent flyer uh, membership, but at least the NFT is a representation potentially of your frequent flyer status. So Qantas, they have platinum, gold, silver, bronze, and maybe blue uh, as, as a different status. Those membership tiers, for me, in the future will be represented by NFTs. And the Qantas frequent flyer points, the, the points that you accumulate by, you know, traveling with Qantas, whatever, you know, having credit cards um, with, with Qantas, those points, uh, those crypto, those cryptocurrency, the points, they act as the cryptocurrency. So membership tier, NFT, frequent flyer points, cryptocurrency. That's one way of, you know, contextualizing, you know, the application for these technologies. Um, okay. And, and go on. Oh, what would the, all of this though, makes me realize that nfts are, are not they're not value in and of themselves they're delivery drivers they're mechanisms because everything we've just described in these scenarios the value is still having to be generated by a gary v or discernible putting a panel yep. into an nft you know the, the value the, the speculative nature of mint an F nft and get rich that completely misses the point the value still has to be created somewhere and then stored in an NFT. And, and just the value has to be created and stored, but then for that NFT to, whether it's retain its value, to increase its value, that all comes down to, again, the, the utility baked within, um, but it's also the, the economic modeling, um, you know, surrounding that NFT. So if Gary V is with his, I don't know the, I've seen his B friends and, you know, I've followed along with, with his sales and mints. But, you know, you could assume that he's got 10,000 B friends, of which maybe 10 are super, super rares, like mm -hmm. 10 right. out of 1,000 of the gold, the golden, you know, the Charlie, Charlie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, 
uh, golden ticket. Mm. And that gets you dinner with Gary V. Mm. So if we look at the first 10,000 when he would mint them, it's basically a raffle. Mm. You're, you're mm. buying one of 10,000. It's a really expensive raffle for the chance to, you know, win access to Gary V, you know, win dinner, maybe some cash prizes. And this is where it's incredibly enticing for, for, for normal people to go, fuck, 100, 100 bucks, I could buy this really beautiful NFT. I could show with my friends, but I could also get dinner with Gary. Mm. I could, you know, become a part of a community. I could get a, a hoodie. And, you know, merch is, a, is, is often a huge, um, you know, dangle of the carrot for, for utility. You know? mm. But again, people value, this is, this is also, who's there to judge whether someone values, you know, a, a JPEG, a, you know, merch of merchandise, or, or the opportunity to get access to Gary V. But the this, value, the value is there is having dinner with Gary V. And so it raises other issues like delivery, delivery of contract and trust, because at the end of the day, you hold the rights to have dinner yeah. with Gary V, but it relies on a human called Gary V. He's not infallible. He's not, you know, the Commonwealth Institute. He's just, he could, you have to rely that he will show up to have dinner with you. So the value, yep. it's almost like the value of that NFT, I'm, I, it feels pretty shaky to me. It's still a trust-based economy that we're operating on, which I think goes back to the discussion that we were having about yeah. um, Bitcoin is not just going to solve all the issues of the unbanked or the debanked because most of our transactions in, in this world are, are still based on trust. They're based on trust, but they're also based on the world we live in, which is, which is regulated. Um, you know, which which involves lawyers, agreements, terms and conditions, um, and this is this is something that you know you can you, no doubt you could, well, no doubt that this technology has applications beyond its means at the moment. It's the, the infrastructures to enable this to happen, you know, now. And let's say I don't claim my dinner with Gary V, but let's just say that when he marketed it or even in the terms that were, you know, written on the website is I've got 50 years to redeem that or until mm. Gary V, you know, sadly isn't with us, yeah. you know, today. And, and this, those sorts of questions, they need to be asked to better inform the smart contracts and, and you know, the code, because firstly, if Gary V were to pass away, how do we know he actually passed away? Maybe we need to have a link into births, deaths, and marriages to, you know, basically call the Gary B database, you know, on his alive status every single day. <laughs> and when it and when it comes back as negative, then maybe 25% of the funds that have been made, you know, in resales over the time get distributed back to token holders oh, or nice. NFT holders. Smart contracts. And this is where oh. this is smart contracts. You can do, you know, if this, then that. You can do that a hundred times over, which really is, you know, algorithm-based, you know, legal decision making, but based on pure data. And when I say pure real data, is knowing from an authority that that individual is not with us, and that authority is birth, deaths, and marriages, and they act as an oracle for someone's life status, maybe age, maybe employment, yes. whatever it may be, um, and these pieces of information inform the smart contract but in this instance it informs the value of that nft i think an interesting one was kings of leon they they did a, an amazing nft job a couple of years ago one of the first yeah whereby the, the 
the most rare or most most rare, most expensive membership NFT at the time was I think you get four tickets front row to all of their one of their international tours per year for the rest of their lives, where you get door to door pickup and you know the VIP treatment. And my first question was, that is awesome. But what happens if, you know, what happens if they stop singing next year? One of them loses their voice. You know, Eric Clapton, you know, has has lost some, you know, some ability with the guitar. What happens in that scenario? And for me, this is where I haven't looked into the absolute nuts and bolts of the Kings of Leon, but it comes back to how do you manage expectations of your top fans who invested so much money for something to go wrong? Because I, I see that there's an opportunity for Kings of Leon. So there could be a revolt of their fans saying, guys, you've, you, you've given up, but we spent 10 grand two years ago to get this pass. Yes. Now you're telling me I can't redeem it anymore. That's where there's a whole world of uncertainty. But businesses, musicians, sports teams, you know, they see the benefit of this technology. There's an enormous amount of experimentation going on. And unfortunately, with experimentation, there are losers. Um, and that's throughout time in, in this industry, in the banking industries, in crisis, in industries as, as, as we don't know them today. Yeah, that's why it's all a scam. I'm telling you, it's all a scam. Hey, how about fraud? Like in the era of a lack of trust around the place, only getting worse, and our ability to... So Adobe Creative Suite, right? When they brought out content-aware fill in Photoshop, so you can select an area and it won't just blank it out, it'll intelligently fill in based on the surrounding area. So you can delete these buttons off my shirt or whatever. It's amazing. Now they're starting to do content-aware type technologies for audio. So you can literally screw around with audio and make people say things that they wouldn't ordinarily say. It's like a high-class version of cutting up single words and making Obama say he loves Putin. Uh, but now we're talking yeah. about doing the same thing in video. We work a lot in Adobe Premiere and some of the stuff coming out there and in After Effects is getting way too easy to create fake stuff. So perhaps in this era of fake news, all sides claiming the other side's fake news, whatever, uh, maybe blockchain is one of those trust mechanisms mm. where we can verify original original content from original recordings of original events and the president puts out a message as an as a as an nft and if you don't read that's the original nft then don't trust that message from president obama see this is really this this is something really interesting because i don't know what the answer is you know here matt but what i do know is there's certain technologies that are being applied in in blockchain and cryptocurrency across some, you know, web two businesses that are leveraging, you know, the power of web three and blockchain. Um, but, you know, some of the technologies would be fingerprinting technology. Mm. It would be, um, you know, proof of publish, you know, you know, what you're doing with your videos, you're going to be, you know, pr- proving the publishing time and hashing, you know, that data to the blockchain to prove that you published what you put these words at that specific time. So any, edits you make in the future, people can go back on the blockchain and see yeah. how that article has evolved over time, you know, um, because, because it's not transparent. But the audio side of things is, is pretty crazy. And I, I don't, like some of the other technologies I know, there's, there's some in the States, Spotify just acquired one, whereby it could take our, you know, discussion right now 
my tone of voice, the emphasis as I use, same with yourself, and translate it into hundreds of different languages. Wow. Whilst keeping our tone and every you know, everything about our voices. Um, so they sound and, like me speaking Russian. Yes, because how can your, you know, Russians won't understand your voice, but if, if you could translate <laughs> this conversation to Russian, into Bolivian, into Portuguese. Now, I can't speak a word of Portuguese, but I'd love to hear myself with a Portuguese accent. Spanish, um, and, I'd love to. Yeah. And again, that's, uh, you know, these technologies are being used for the good you know, to enable wider audiences to hear um, what people are saying from different parts of the world in different languages and not relying upon Google Translate, let's say. Um, but for, for video and, and audio to prove, you know, its authenticness, you know, to provide provenance, yes. this is where blockchain absolutely can be used. Um, there's, going back, I mentioned I had started my career in blockchain with Florin coin or flow, yes. which was, I want to say it's one of the, you know, first 20 cryptocurrencies that was, was created um, in 20, well, this one in 2013, but flow was designed as a Bitcoin standard, but with the, the dish, well, with the ability to add transaction, transaction comments. So mm. at the time you could add 140 characters to a transaction which is basically a tweet. Yeah. Imagine, you know, all of your tweets were stored on a immutable blockchain and could be viewed for ever and ever and ever. Um, that's what Florin Coin had created. And it was, it was released by an anonymous developer called Sky Angel, um, who's still involved and in around the, the project to this day, you know, leading, uh, communicating with the lead developers. But, but Florin Coin was really simple, simple for putting data and storing metadata on the blockchain. If it's relating to, let's say, a video and you know, a live, maybe this is a thing, fingerprinting a video proving its authenticity, what we can do is prove that the video was uploaded and created at a certain date, certain time by storing all of the metadata and even the, uh, the metadata for the file served um, on a server, uh, you know, stored on Flow. Florin coin is now called Flow and also PIN, P-I-N, cryptocurrency, you know, communities, they kind of, they love to hold on to nostalgia. And that's why there's been, you know, challenges moving from, from one name to the other. But Flow has now got the ability to store 1,040 characters, 1,040 bytes of data per transaction. Um, so there's the underlying technologies here for the open internet. Instead of having a closed, a closed walled garden, create an internet that's an open jungle where everything, you know, there's provenance on posts, there's proof of authorship, there's proof of, you know, publishing. There's even proof that it hasn't been plagiarized or, you know, put together by an AI machine. But Matt, to, to your point, the world is getting, is getting incredibly technologically capable and, you know, proving something real from not is, is, is happening. There's technologies in place happening, but at the same time, there's other technologies trying to defeat that. Um, it's a constant battle, constant war. Okay, have so you, have uh, you, yeah. on, the, on the deep fake, what, or I suppose it's deep fake audio and video, is that what you're referring to? 
Well, I just noticed that Adobe Creative Suite uh, improving over time to the point now where you can't trust any image you see, honestly, the stuff that we can do in Photoshop. And it, and because we do so much video editing in Discernible, mm. um, not, not with conversations like this, but in more creative type work that we're trying to do more of, we, um, one of my... My, my staff members is a lecturer in film. So we're moving towards film and doing all sorts of creative after effects work. And the stuff that you can do there is so mature now. You know, Freddie Wong was doing this on YouTube in 2010. And here we are in 2012. Wow. The stuff you can do today is indistinguishable. And I, I'm now working the kind of political slash media space and human, just understanding humanity. And I can see how easily humans are manipulated and fooled uh, and the idea of bad actors taking <laughs> hold of some of our tech as our technology races ahead faster than our yeah. cheap, cheap brains, our, um, our old brains can, can keep up. So that's really mm. what I wanted to talk about next is, is do you see like really dystopian uses and futures for blockchain? Because I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how likely it is we'll go towards the quite a utopian world. We what we hear about somewhat in this conversation, but also in the people who push certain techs, new tech and new coins and stuff. It's very utopian and how we're going to fix the world. But we don't really mm. talk about the dystopian uses. This is the kind of crazy thing that the pros also comes with the cons, and dystopian uses will be, you know, tracking. Um, basically, you know, you could say social credit systems operated by smart contracts mm. which is kind of and oracles so what's an oracle is uh maybe it's the the atm machine for those that draw out cash after 11 p.m at night maybe have to have a, a maximum withdrawal limit because they can't be trusted because you can assume why you're doing it after 11 p.m at night on a friday night withdrawing cash it's for for more beers mm. um and uh, and we saw that you know, on the dystopian side, we saw in Australia, I think it was the the, uh, the Dole payment uh, card yeah. that was yeah. trialed in, I think, South Australia, where you could spend that, your, yeah. yeah, and this is, this is you know, a dystopian application of it is, you know, you receive these these funds, but they can only be used at specific retailers. Mm. It's kind of like you've got Quantus frequent flyers points, but guess what? You can only spend them on the bloody Quantus frequent flyer shop 200,000 points gets you a bloody toaster. But <laughs> yet we spent $35,000, you know, to, to do that. But this is, um, blockchain can be used as a prescriptive um, a, a prescriptive way to keep people within the lines, you know, re restricted around where they can spend their money, you know, tying their identity. But at the same time, there's these decentralized initiatives and new technologies that are providing other options. Um, and providing communities to be empowered and to, you know, empower through, through the community, through uh, collective force. Yeah, man, I'm not worried about them giving me a welfare card that only lets me buy um, lettuce but won't let me buy chocolate. I'm worried about them saying uh, because you went to a protest or because you posted video critical of um, the Premier today, which I did actually, uh, you know, you're locked out of chocolate for a week. That kind of, I don't care about technology. I care about the the, the people who pull the levers yeah. behind the technology. Well, we, we saw, and I'm no longer in Melbourne because of what happened in Melbourne. 
Um, but we saw how those levers were were pulled, you know, through 2020, 2021. Um, but there was all of these rules, you know, if you need to go further than five kilometers, you have to have X, Y, Z. Um, in that scenario that you were, you know, that data wasn't recorded by an Oracle on the blockchain and you were, you know, trying to show your data, then whoever's the authority, you know, reading that, they're not going to... This, this is where it gets, it does get scary, but the blockchain technology can be used for great things and for bad things. And in this scenario, enforcing what you can and can't do based on where you might have been, what you might have said, what football team you support. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, make, it makes me concerned. But at the same time, I know that there's a contingent of people globally that are working against this sort of technology. Um, at the same time, this is where maybe you've got to look at understanding and defining how you want your life to be and how you want your life to be governed and if where you're living, <laughs> if, whether it's the right place for you, because they're going to be quite hard to stop, I, I would envisage. Well, this is the tension, right, for the future between, let's say, like you're only allowed it outside for one hour a day during that lockdown, five kilometres and one hour for exercise a day in Melbourne, which I saw in the intro, I didn't mention, Sam, you've been in, in Melbourne for a long time. You've only, number of years, you've only just gone back to the UK. Yeah. So, yeah, one hour a day, five Ks. When a, when a Victoria Police officer would um, see me out on my bike or whatever and say, how long have you been out for? I'd say 10 minutes. Uh, and then two hours later, I'm still riding my bike on the trails, you know, 30 Ks from home by myself in the bush. I didn't think I was harming anyone. Uh, and they see you again. How long have you been out for? 10 minutes. So it's just that kind of inability for them to track at what time exactly I left home uh, is is kind of how a lot of our society operates. It's kind of a wink and a nod and, you know, um, rational thinking like, you know, people, <clears throat> the cops of, of our Western nations are generally reasonable. But as we get Internet of Things and as we get uh, everything's being tracked, data-led, they'll be up, at the moment, for example, um, when I was 18, police pulled over um, my mum driving my car and lights flashing and everything came out and said it were quite aggressive and they realized it wasn't a male it was a woman and they said oh it's okay we thought you were matt wong who owns this car uh because he has a suspended license i, I had my license suspended when i was 17 18 for speeding for three months uh and so you know that level of kind of surveillance where you can't get away with anything is increasing and so the tension i'm talking about is some people want to go back to the old way. They want to the Luddite mentality, mm. smash the computers, leave us alone. You shouldn't yep. know when I left the house. I should be able to just go 10 minutes, uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But I'm wondering if that's not, at some point, that's not feasible. At some point, the technology is so great. Cameras are everywhere. We need to outrun it and 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 help positive developments of blockchain to, to preserve our freedoms and, yeah. and whatever else we value. Yeah. And to, you know, to, to your point, if the police, you know, were to start asking, you know, how, how they may do, they were to stop you in the street. And I, I was a police officer. Matt, can you prove that you've been out for 10 minutes? Can you quickly get out your Google Maps and go to your timeline? And we can just adjust where you've actually been cycling and for how long. Um, but for them having that access, maybe they don't, they maybe have anonymized data, but they could see that your phone has been collecting geolocation data for 27 minutes and mm -hmm. across 1.9 kilometers, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. That's where it gets, um, that's, that's where they don't have 
got the right to access that or have the right to access that information to inform their next decision because it's subjective. Um, yes, you're never yes. going to get you. You're never going to yes. Yeah. They haven't. Um, the but, Australian Border Force has it at our borders. Interesting. I, I'm I'm not aware of all of the what they have access to and what they don't. But it's it's using that to I think using that to inform is 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 just wrong. It's then the protection. Yeah. How do we protect ourselves? Be less lazy. Be less short term. You know, searching for short term gratifying uh, solutions to life. Um, you know. The reason people opt into terms and conditions and these things is because of convenience. Mm. Um, you know, convenient enough to need to go to a cafe in Melbourne or a bar or a pub. You needed to go through a number of measures to be able to be compliant to have lunch and dinner. Um, putting it on the blockchain, it's ethical. Uh, it's, it's, it's an unethical thing. It's looking at you know social credit systems around the world in in, in you know some countries they are uh, great examples of what we do not want to have in our society. Um, and on on kind of on that on that point around, I think what you're talking about is almost over regulation, you know, of the world, and then using technologies to over regulate and, and yeah. almost automate. Yeah. Outcomes. Smart smart contracts. Um, yeah. <laughs> Smart contracts, and this is the thing. What are smart contracts um, and price? This is this is where you go into it's like technical weeds, but and I'll come back to you know around the, the overregulation and, and how to potentially counteract it. Is um, if you look at smart contracts, they need oracles. Oracles are the ones who will provide that. Let's say you've been your ten minute run. They're the ones who provide the data around yeah. how long you've been outside of your place of residence. Yeah. Um, You've got, let's say, a Google, you know, a, a Google Oracle, and then you've got <clears throat> Waze, you know, using looking at Waze and Google. Which one, which Oracle is more trusted? Hmm. You know, is Waze incentivized to provide the right data or is Google incentivized to provide slightly skewed data because of the outcomes? And this is where, you know, the smart contract needs a trustless environment in order to be able to execute and those Oracle providers who are providing the data, they must be incentivized with the right mechanics and rewards to provide the best data possible. Um, and, you know, it's on geolocation. It could be on the temperature. Are we, are we taking, you know, the, the temperature from North Bondi or South Bondi? Or have we got, <laughs> yeah. you know, this, this is the kind of level of detail we go down to. But that's where smart contracts and Oracles really are are what's incredibly powerful used in in the right way in the wrong way it creates a lot of a lot of questions around you know how this brilliant tech is being used unethically um where where i say the overregulation and regulated side of things there's lots of blockchain financial businesses out there and um the journey laura myself and several others got into Back in 20, I think it's 2017, 2018, we founded um, myself, Laura, Rob, Dominic, uh, some folks in the States. We met on Telegram, um, in Flow, uh, Flow and Coin chat rooms. And there was an idea that, that Dominic brought to the table that he wanted to create a decentralized fiat crypto bank, basically the world's first blockchain bank. 
Our tech uh, CTO co-founder at the time, 20 years veteran with Sony Music, he, he, he was looking at doing due diligence on buying the Bank of Minnesota at the time. Yeah. And I yeah. think we kind of earmarked that it was around $100 million to purchase yeah. a bank. And our aspirations were to turn the Bank of Minnesota in, into the world's first blockchain bank, giving all of their customers access to cryptocurrency and, and blockchain in a regulated, you know, regulated environment, whereby you know, you know your customer, there's anti-money laundering you know, rules in place, a travel, FATF, FinCEN, and, and the works. Hmm. Rob, our CTO, quickly found out there was no technology available to power a blockchain bank. So we basically had to go back to the drawing board um, and build that technology, you know, that a bank would need to operate in today's day and age, leveraging all of these new assets and um, the amazing, amazing technologies, tokens and, and you know, value holders. And, and Warbly for, for, for me over two, three years, it was 16, 17 hours a day trying to reinvent how value gets exchanged between individuals and businesses, but in a compliance environment. Mm -hmm. So our vision and view was there's the traditional finance world, SWIFT, you know, our yes. antiquated models of, um, you know, signing up to a financial institution, going through your KYC and identity, you know, process, processes, and then trusting that organization to hold on to your data yes. securely. You know, yeah. now we've got GDPR breaches, well, British, yeah. British Airways, you know, all I can remember for British Airways is getting their database hacked a few, a few years ago yeah. um, versus if, you know, what we were looking at is this new infrastructure was every individual has a digital ID that they control which elements of that ID get shown to which business. Um, and it's a way to preserve, you know, the integrity of their data. It's a way to, you know, keep secret their personal data. Um, why do I need to give Paddy, you know, Paddy Power, Bet365, any of these gambling companies, you know, where I live, how old I am, you know, the, my, my bloody star sign. Why do they need my star sign? Um, you know, for example, they just need to know what state I live in and if I'm over 18. Yeah. yeah. So what we were looking at building was this, financial infrastructure really you know led by decentralized identity um you were building the backbone now you were building the backbone of a social credit system that's what you were building see this this is where this is where we've had discussions were we building a backbone for social credit no because we were a public blockchain with you know publicly governed by by those stakeholders and the um the people within the community but maybe at the time, this is because we were five, six years ahead at the time of, you know, breaking ground on trying to build a blockchain bank because we were doing it for the good of banking the unbanked, you know, providing access to finance and finance tools for, for people who have never, they, they, they might have lived in a house for a thousand years, their family, but they can't prove it. They don't have a land title to prove it. And this is the, the vision that we were, were going down. And that's probably why I've got you know, strong understanding of how this can be used for nefarious purposes. But this is where an overreach of government, an overreach of authority, with access to these tools and with access to you know, human beings who, who you know, do what they're told because they're dangled an incentive, 
this is where they're, they're, I believe there's a shift in behavior in people's understanding of the world that things need to be better um, and those better things will come from alternative services. Um, does, does, does that resonate? Does that make sense? Yes, I, I'm, I'm wanting to see when I go for a ride and, and we get to the point where everything's tracked and the police say, how far are you and how long have you been out? Mm. And did you eat chocolate today? And whatever the thing is at the time, I, I don't want to go the Luddite route. I think it's a dead end. Just move into the country, go off grid, smash your phones, don't participate. Mm. I want tech to, you know, I'm, this is a small example, but I'm very impressed with Brave Browser. I, yep. I use Brave and it's a technological way to solve a few issues I was having with Chrome. And I like that. And I think I'm surprised by how much, you know, okay, let me give an example. I stand, uh, uh, sackdan.com. So during our pa vaccine passport season in, in Melbourne, in Australia, actually, there was, um, there was a website called sackdan.com. And all they do is they create fake passports, fake Medicare passports, fake check-ins, fake vaccine passports, a whole raft of different things. And the interesting thing about this was they were very, very good. They, they were identical for all intents and purposes. But the, the interesting was interesting. the develop, developers of sackdan.com, you, you go to their Telegram group and you read their motivations. It's some kind of a Christian group. So we're talking religion now. And they have a little manifesto in there. Hey, you know, this is evil. This is morally wrong, what they're doing to Australians. <clears throat> Here's tools to continue going about your life with fake vaccine passports, blah, 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 and God bless you. So my point is you can't shut down the motivation of that group. It, that, that was a deeply held belief for them, a moral wrong that they were writing according to their religion, their faith. And in the same way, I've seen human ingenuity values towards freedom or whatever it is. It's just like you can't snuff it out as much as you overregulate and as much as governments do yeah. crazy stuff. Everyone's got their own motivations, but they go so far beyond the carrot and the stick approach. Some people just are mm. not for turning. You cannot turn them. I love that. And and I, I, you know, I met some of those people that are not for turning. I think it was probably like the one of the fifth, maybe sixth people I've met in the industry. Uh, he's central, uh, maybe Arizona way, Texas, in in the middle of America, using rhetoric, you know. Uh, thugs, you know, gangs, um, taxes, theft, but uh, you know, that's just taxes, theft is just the, the, Hey, my name's Bob and taxes, theft is their kind of opening line. And then you understand, you know, what their you know, perspectives are. And it, it's interesting around religion. There are a lot of um, religious people in the industry and you know, I don't want to go into too much detail around it because I don't know too much about it, but I'm not religious. Um, I understand religion as this belief system, and it's something that you know guides individuals uh, on their on their life's journey. But it also brings together many individuals uh, within a community, singing off the same hymn sheet. Who's governing the hymn sheet is written, you know, correctly for what society wants, and that's for me a lot. A lot of experiences have been religiously influence or inspired um, around how the technology is deployed and developed and what it can enable. And, you know, funnily enough, on the, in the, in the journey around the, 
um, Wall Blockchain Initiative and Warbly and banking is we had uh, some Sharia countries reach out to us to help them build brand new Sharia banking solutions. Um, you That's know, what to, I'm talking about. And, yeah. and, and leveraging these technologies. And what, what's your thoughts on, on, on that and on these communities and, and how they're inspired or by, by religion? Uh, I, I don't think it's that. I mean, we can go deep into a religious discussion, but I don't think it's just religion. I think it's um, intriguing to me. It's values and principles. So when you talk about everyone singing off the mm. same hymn sheet, it's so much more than that because whether it's a, a dedication to meme culture or it's a dedication to um, Christianity mm. or, or to Allah, whatever, doesn't matter, they place that authority, that value or principle in their lives is higher than the carrots and sticks of government. So I love watching when governments try mm. to do something and you get a certain level of compliance, but then you get some people who say, no, I will not. And not that it's always right to say no to, mm. to authority, but just this idea that governments continually try to set themselves up as, as the ultimate authority and you must obey. And yet you have these recalcitrant humans who will not, sacri- will not surrender a higher authority. For, for, for religious people, it might be God, Jesus, Allah, yeah. whatever. So to give you an example, um, in Melbourne here, I've been having a conversation with the, um, some politicians, some sitting politicians, and they're detecting a real backlash against the Labor government who's going really hard on the pride stuff, um, uh, you know, stuff that sounds fine, like respect for trans rights and building a pride centre and whatever. But there's a strong Muslim community in the northwest of Melbourne that for them, they're stressing to these politicians, it is such a key issue for them in their religion, Islam, gay is not mm-hmm. good, right? And they're like, this cannot, 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 cannot happen. They just, it doesn't matter. Some, for, so some, for some of them, it's religious like that. But for others, it's not religious. Yeah. For others, it's like a principle. I, I just don't agree yeah. with, with uh, say, bodily autonomy, right? So some people believe in bodily autonomy in terms of abortion rights. Some be- people believe in a bodily autonomy in terms of not getting vaccinated rights. But both of them will always place that above the rule of law. It doesn't matter what law they make. They'll be like, no, mm-hmm. that law is immoral. Yeah. So I'm I'm fascinated by that, and I'm wondering um, mm. if ultimately that will be the the Rubicon, not the Rubicon. That will be the, the the barrier that governments cannot cross, but blockchain and associated techs can, because it doesn't have those kinds of authoritarian values and judgments. It's it's really it's really interesting, and I you know, to your point around the values and principles. Whilst I'm in the same room as these, you know, these individuals globally who have like literally different walks of life, you know, meme coat, you know, sense of humor is just often at the other ends of the spectrum. Mm. But that is, it's pretty true is there's those guiding principles and those aligning principles is to probably why I've been able to integrate and fit in, in blockchain, because I've got, I've, you know, I've got strongly held opinions or I say strongly you know, strong opinions weekly held. Um, But I've got, you know, very, very strong principles and values, which is this technology needs to be used for the good. It needs to be used for the, you know, bettering, you know, community, empowering community, making 
people more money, or in my instance with Plath, making musicians more money. Um, but this is the thing, is, is standing up to authority, like a government authority or whatever it may be, um, I feel people are more empowered to do so because they are more in line with their principles. They know what they believe in, they know what they value, and they don't want to succumb you know, to those, to those things because of someone said, and when I say someone said, oftenly, often someone said one plus one equals 72. And everyone's going, what the fuck? That doesn't make sense. Like, surely, Mr. Daniel Andrews, or some, surely someone's chatting shit somewhere. Um, yeah, everyone remembers at school one plus one equals two. <clears throat> yeah, why is that? Why is that changing? And that's where I feel that you know, maybe communities are, are aligning and recognizing what their principles are, because you know, and often it's tr- truth, it's honesty. You say what you, you know, if you say you're going to do it, you do it. Um, and, and do you know what I've? Uh, one, one, one example of me not stand well standing up to authorities and I don't even know what department it is Victoria Health you know come and get me for my hotel quarantine fee because I'm not paying it ah uh, are they like, after you like oh two weeks before we left uh left left here uh left left Melbourne um yep Sam we're, we're, we're talk- trying to trying to get in touch with you we've emailed you god knows how many times trying to get in touch for the what's it four or five thousand dollar fee um, for staying at the Intercontinental for two weeks without fresh air, without um, without sunlight for the first two days, because if you know the Intercontinental, it's a an internal hotel which is basically underground. Um, oh, they're also trying to charge us for the food they served us in the you know ho- in the hotel quarantine under the supervision of the chief health officer. Uh, my partner's. Uh, got anaphylaxis she's anaphylactic to nuts legumes and some other ingredients on day one they they absolutely gave us an epipen because they saw you know what what allergies were were, were in the room yet yeah, but three meals three meals they served us in this basically airtight room food with allergens in that you know could could you know knock my partner out in a second so they're asking for five grand for uh, for hotel quarantine, yet they can't even, they, they literally could try to kill, well, not literally, try to, you know, yeah. put us in a, a bad scenario, rock, rock in between a hard place uh, with, with, yeah, food that could potentially kill someone. And it's like, that's, a, that's where my principles, you know, are, is don't charge us for shit. Well, firstly, don't charge us for shit service and shit food and shit accommodation in the first place, but it's everything else that went on. It was like, if that's happening to us, then Christ, it's happening to other people who may not have a voice, who may not be able to articulate or form an argument or, um, you know, stand up to authority. So I think that's probably a guiding principle is standing up to authority, probably because other people can't slash maybe are too lazy to or maybe just don't know how to. And that's why they comply and just carry on their lives as normal. And now you're in London, or you're in England. So uh, how's he going to get you now? I don't think he can get you as long as you don't come back. Well, even if we do come back, we'll, we'll happily go to court and, and, and showcase and like, happily go to court and you know, show them everything that happened in those two weeks. We've got photographs, we've got videos, we've got phone recordings, we've got admissions of 
uh, gross negligence, literally, you know, gross negligence, um, you know, by some of the largest contractors. So yeah, bring us to court. So so we, if if there is even a court process, it might just be is a, another fine that's going to be taken out of your super through a smart contract. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, coming back to Melbourne, if they, they but this is a kind of crazy thing. We'll be able to come back to Melbourne and then fly back home. They won't know because none of their databases seem to talk. They are working off an antiquated system. I like it this way. Shut up. Customers. Shut up. Shut yeah. up. I like it this way. I don't want you to start raising flags. I have come from Sydney to New South Wales you to can Melbourne. Cut that bit out then. I'll cut it. <laughs> Sydney, New South Wales has it. They know what they're doing. They can track stuff. And you, we saw that in the contact tracing. Melbourne don't know. Beep, insert swear word. They are shocking. Everything, the roads department, the police, the fine system, the red juice, everything about this state is behind 20 to 30% on New South Wales. And I like it that way. And, and so do certain politicians, I bet, as well, because a lot can get through the gap. Okay, good point. Well, I'm, I'm taking the gap as well. Hey, I need to ask you to wrap up this interview. I'd like to ask you your thoughts on a culture movement in the tech world. I am noticing some of the most rational, non-woke people. So the people just go, that's stupid. That women can have penises too. And then, then they get up and say, no, they can't shut up. Some of the most normal people with brains are into tech. They're into, they're the nerds of this world. They're the, they're the, the, the rebels, the guys making sackdan.com. They're the, um, yeah. the pirates and the anonymous guys. And they're the, um, the, the Bitcoin nerds. And why is it that you don't get the, um, I don't know if it's just a political lefty thing, but you just don't get that kind of screeching AOC type person working on a, the latest coin, minting a, a new NFT or creating a coin, doing a, C, a C, uh, what do you call it? ICO. Why are they always so rational? What is it about the tech world and specifically the, not just the tech world, the kind of, you know what I mean by the under tech world, like DeFi, Bitcoin, you know, it's not the Facebook tech world. It's the kind of the adolescent teenage it's, it's, rebel. It's, um, it's really, it's a really interesting one. There's this, uh, these, I suppose my six years in, in, in crypto has been working with talking to asking questions to 10 years ago people i would have not said boo, you know boot or goose i wouldn't have i wouldn't have known how to communicate with some of these individuals because they're neurodivergent they are you, you say hey how's it going and some of these people you can get 100 different answers they're misunderstood rebels and geniuses of the world um, and i think you know, if you look at Elon Musk, he's got. If you if you think about how his mind works, yeah. why he wins is because he can articulate himself reasonably well. He can, you know, get his thoughts in a place and then action them. Um, plus, a lot of money and a lot of incredible people around him to action them. But it's these big thoughts, you know, uh, dispelled into very small tasks. But some of these tech technology folks, the right versus left, you know, conspiracy theory versus non-conspiracy theory. Um, blockchain, there's an air of anonymity in the industry. So I would always, when you look at projects, you have to understand what it is on the surface and then what they're trying to achieve under the surface. Um, there's, you know, iconography, there's, um, you know, symbolism, you know, built into some of these projects. 
Some are trolling, some are absolutely not trolling, but how do you kind of decipher the trolls from the not? Maybe this is, you know, are those on the right more trolly, jovial, witty? Those on the left more defensive, attacking, and maybe they're also the antithesis, what they portray themselves to be publicly is the antithesis to who they actually are, because this is where I, I suppose it's the social engineering elements is will we ever really know um, unless the team, the business is 100% doxxed, 100% out in the open, and you've got the ability to make a subjective or you know objective um, classification of where that project sit, sits. You know, climate change projects, there's... Um, uh, I think projects that are, are measuring, you know, Christ, the amount of steps you walk and, you know, how many, if you're not driving, how many steps you're doing, how are you contributing, you know, to the world? Is that to help contribute to the betterment of the world or is it just to get you walking more so we can get that data to sell it to healthcare companies? Yeah. Um, and this is where, honestly, a lot of the people in this industry are building technology for the future good. Politics often doesn't come in, uh, come into it, and when you like do that. talk about politics, it tends it tends to be kind of principle based. Yes, is, you know, I've got a political lean. I've got a political leaning. Mm. Am I leaning left, right, forward, back, or up or down? I don't. Mm. You know, it's it's kind of it's, it's an ever changing world at the moment, and it does come back to principles, which would say I'm probably more libertarian. Mm. Um, liberta- left-leaning libertarian however my views could be perceived as uh, right far right but at the same time depends who you're speaking to and I, I think I think what the problem is for you know for viewers and audiences there's so much there's so much information out there often that information is in a echo chamber um, and that echo chamber becomes a part of an algorithm which is a larger echo chamber um, and we're not seeing enough debates of literally, you know, opposing opinions on the surface. Gen- I, I generally think that we're not seeing those sorts of debates because it's going to expose that we're actually exactly the same. We're arguing, you know, the same points. We have the same principles, but maybe a couple of our values are misaligned, such as, you know, I, I like animals and you don't. Therefore, I'm vegan. You're not. Mm. But it's. This is where I, I, I politics, princi- politics is just overrun by principles and values and mislabeling. I have to correct frankly. you. I, I, as a as a vociferous meat eater, and after this interview, I'll be scuttling out to a meat restaurant. Uh, I love animals. They are delicious. Hey, uh, I have noticed that the shouty, the shouty kind of left but you know just the more shouty authoritarian type people they've overtaken the institutions and are trying to uh dictate how we do certain things uh but i tell you what it's nice to um find myself in the company of people like yourself and others in the the nerds of the blockchain community and just just the the rebels and the the, what you call them the un unseen rebels and unseen geniuses something like that misunderstood misunderstood they're miscommunicated with. They're they're walking around us in, yeah. and you know often often we will not know. A lot of these a lot of these individuals are incredibly humble. To yes. you know you yes. ask what they do, they'll say, "Oh, I'm a dev. I just I just do coding." <laughs> Says Satoshi. I, yeah, and 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 that's probably why 
I know there's something about their humble nature of they they don't know how good they are. Um, it's, it's, that's why it's a really exciting industry, you know, to get involved yeah. in because everyone's telling you you're wrong. Bitcoin's going to die. The blo- yeah. You know, the blockchain shit. It's a waste of time. You can do it on the web too. Um, but I think it's the the minds that you get access to in this in this industry is is fascinating. My job really has just been to try and dispel it, um, dispel it for myself, but uh, for others so they can understand it and not be an aggressor. It, it feels very much like these people were talking about uh, the uh, the Rebel Alliance and um, the institutions and all that of the Galactic Empire. And I'm glad to be um, loosely aligned. With that alliance. So thank you for coming on today, uh, Sam That's Russell right. from Clef and t- telling us all about uh, crypto. Now, if people want to check out what you do, we'll put all the links in the description, description below. But of course, they um, need to check out your new business, Clef. If they're especially if you're an artist, they you yeah. want to do a quick quick plug for Clef. Yeah, musicians, um, you know, globally, like one one thing we're not going into is the streaming world because you need millions and millions of dollars to to turn that world on its head. Um, There's a lot of bureaucracy and politics and uh, the music industry is run by, like in Australia, you've got the four ugly sisters, the the big banks. Um, In the music industry globally, you've got, you know, some some pretty large organisations that have uh, created the industry as we know it today. A lot of musicians are still operating off contracts with, you know, that were kind of created in the 1980s and they've evolved a little bit uh, to this day and age. And what our purpose is, is to provide new platforms for brands and fans to engage artists. Um, Because at the moment, musicians, what do we do when we're happy or sad? We listen to music. Um, But why are musicians the ones you know, providing us with, with that content. Why are they, 70% of them, anxious, depressed, uh, not earning money? Like, when was the last time you heard a musician say, I'm, I'm earning too much money? Um, you hear them saying, I'm earning not enough. And from our perspective, it's reinventing the way that they can make money to fuel, you know, their, their music creating career, which is recording, distribution, hopefully giving them enough money to own the IP that they curate rather than uh, being incentivized very heavily up front by labels to not own that IP. Um, it's a polite way of saying it. I was going to say prostitute been, themselves, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's really been a three-year a three journey for, for us is to understand the politics and bureaucracy of the music industry, to, to turn it on its head, or at least to work with existing businesses in the industry to help musicians make more money by providing them just a, a fairer way, you know, better incentives. And for me, eradicate middlemen who do nothing because middlemen who do nothing, they're in every single industry. Mm-hmm. They just need to go. They need to get out of the way. They need to be humble enough to say, yes, I'm not adding any value here. I'm taking too much money. I need to find myself a new job. Um, so maybe our technology and platform can can help people realize quickly that they need to get a new job outside of their current one in the music industry and maybe come over to the other side to help empower musicians and creators. Um, but yeah, Clef is a, a quite an interesting one. If there are musicians or any folks in the industry, always, always happy to discuss and, and let you know where it's heading. 
There you go. That's uh, Sam Russell from Clef joining us in discussion today. And of course, our show today is brought to you by our biggest sponsor of all is our locals community. We're only on the air because of our paid supporters at discernible.locals.com. If you're trying to reach me and I'm not answering you because there's so many thousands of messages, that's because I'm hanging out with my crew at discernible.locals.com. Come over there, help us stay on the air and have a chat. All right. See you for uh, another interview. And Sam, thank you so much for your time. Brilliant. Thanks, Matt. Have a nice evening. Enjoy your steak. <laughs>